Christ Jesus, we celebrate you today, God. Do what only you can do. Have your way in this place so that we might experience all of your blessings that you have in store for us. Bless these, your people today. Enable me to speak your word, God. Hide me behind your cross. Allow flesh to dissipate and your spirit to overtake. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead. He's worthy. My God in heaven, you may be seated in his presence. You realize, I'd say some of you probably do, that this week marks the one-year anniversary of when the world shut down. This was the last Sunday that we had service in-house for three months. Uh, this time last year, I had preached two revivals leading up to this weekend, and then we had Sunday morning service, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, and then that was it for uh, until after Mother's Day. And I'm thankful that what I'm seeing in this season is a lot better than what I was seeing in that season. Can somebody say amen? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 small businesses closed their doors forever during that first three months of the pandemic. It's terrible. It's, 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 it's awful. It's much bigger, much more widespread than I ever imagined it would be. I'm usually a pretty optimistic person when it comes to big things like that. I'm usually the one that's like, oh, the hurricane won't be as bad as they think it will. It'll blow over. Uh, this, this flu will pass. This went longer and did much more damage than I ever expected it to do and uh, to God be the glory that we're still here and that we're still able to worship him and that the churches are opening back up and businesses are opening back up so thank God for that and I'm here this morning to preach a message that I've been uh, waiting for a while to preach I've been working on this uh, in the background this is week three of a series that we're calling I'm better than this and what does that mean exactly, I'm better than this? Well, you're better than what you're portraying right now. And in the next several weeks, we're going to begin to, to dive deeper into the concepts of what you're better than this about. For instance, I'm better than the personality I carried in here this morning. I'm better than this. I'm better than my attitude displays sometimes when I get on Facebook and post stuff. I'm, I'm better than my faith that I have portrayed up to this. I'm better than this. I can treat people better than I've been treating them. I, I, I know I've got excuses out my ears. I know I've got reasons and, 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 and background and history. But I, at the end of the day, God expects it and so do I of myself. I'm better than this. I, I cannot, as a child of God, be contemplating uh, moving closer to Him and staying the same. That's not the way this works. If I'm going to be moving closer to Him, then that means I'm going to be more like Him. That means that I'm going to be made in His image and His likeness. And that means, bless God, some of me that I brought this far can't go any farther than this step because I'm better than this. Can somebody say amen? Some of you that's been married for a long time, you know that you had to be better than this way back then or you wouldn't have made it this far. Some of you wouldn't be saved today if you hadn't have decided at some point, I'm better than this. If you hadn't decided at some point, I'm better than this, you'd have killed half of your kids by now. But you're better than that, so you moved on ahead. Amen. So this morning, I'm going uh, to be in an Old Testament book of Malachi. If you don't know where Malachi is, find Matthew, go back one. 
Malachi chapter 4, and I'm only going to read one verse, and then we'll get into to the gospel of Luke, uh, John a little bit later. But Malachi chapter 4, now we know that the Bible, the Word of God, is one book, and it's strategically divided into two covenants. In your Bible, it's called the New Testament and the Old Testament, but we really realize that it's actually two different covenants. The reason there's a division and a break uh, in the Old and the New Testament is because they're operating under two different premises, covenants we call them. The Old Testament was under the Old Covenant, and it worked for a while. It appeased God's anger, but it never satisfied uh, the, the justice that sin demanded. So he come along in the Gospel of Matthew, and we get under a new covenant. It's called the New Testament. We're saved by grace, not by works. We're saved because Jesus came and he lived and he died a sinless existence. And by his blood, you and I are set free and can enter into the throes of heaven. Thank God for Jesus. So the Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi. And he is doing something very specific. He is reinforcing the people's belief and confidence in God and reminding them that they have a responsibility as members of a covenant community. Why is Malachi so dogmatic to remind people that they have a responsibility? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because God is about to shut up for 400 years. At the end of Malachi, when you close the book of Malachi, before you open the Gospel of Matthew, 420 years have passed and God was silent. Up until this time, he had been given revelation through his prophets. He had been speaking through kings and seers. He had been giving people direct words from heaven. But the, at the close of Malachi, he shuts his mouth and he lets people live out four centuries plus without ever giving us a new revelation. Malachi is the last voice crying out in the wilderness. Malachi is the last voice that Israel heard directly from God. And what did, Israel, what did Malachi do? He gave them instruction. He told them things like, you need to tithe. Oh, I didn't think I'd get no amens right there. He gave them instructions on like, you need to treat one another the way God wants you to treat one another. Because God said, if I'm going to shut up for 400 years, let me give you some stuff that's going to help you. And then in chapter 4, he's drawing his thoughts to a conclusion. And verse 2, he says this. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Now what Malachi was pointing us to, this is a prophecy about someone called the Messiah. And he was going to come and bring healing to his people. And that sounds great for those of us that have diabetes or heart problems or we've got some other kind of malady today, but that's really not the healing that the Messiah is going to bring. The healer was coming all right, but he wasn't just going to heal us of our uh, afflictions and our maladies. He's going to heal us from the greatest uh, sickness and affliction we've ever known, and that is called sin, S-I-N, sin. This Messiah was going to come with healing in his wings, and he was going to set the captive free. He was going to open the blinded eyes, and he was going to give the strength back to the lame man. But more importantly, he was going to throw open the threshold of heaven and allow sinners like you and me to repent and and enter into the kingdom. God was about to stop talking to humanity for over 400 years. And this prophecy came to them while they were living under the power of the Persian Empire. It was not a great time for Israel. They were living under the rule of the Persian Empire. And Malachi comes with this voice. 
saying there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be the, the son of righteousness who's going to rise with healing in his wings. And they kept waiting for this prophecy to come to pass. Can I stop just for a moment and tell you I am Pentecostal. I've always been Pentecostal. I don't know any other way. But Pentecostal folks do got some, some crazy proclivities. And one of them is we love to hear a word from God, but we despise to wait on it. We want a preacher to call us up front and tell us all the good things God's about to do for us, and then we want it for services over. I mean, you will wait for God to speak to you for 20 years, and then when he finally speaks to you, you think that the thresholds of heaven is just supposed to open up and, and pour out a blessing before you ever get to the parking lot. And we don't have patience to wait on God. So Malachi comes saying, the healer is coming. He's on the way. And they had to wait 420 years before God ever spoke again. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for this prophecy to come to pass. And when 420 years uh, were over, here comes a preacher. I'm standing up here this morning, this morning looking like I'm looking to make a point. Because after 420 years of God not talking, the preacher they got come out the woods dressed in camel skin with locust legs sticking out from between his teeth and honey dripping off of his real long beard. He didn't dress like the priest down at the temple. Although he was of that lineage and had the ability to put on the priestly garb, what he said was, I'm going to come out this wilderness and God's going to say something that is more important than the way I present myself. Because I'm going to tell you right now, church folks are a whole lot more religious than God is. Because God is more interested in what the word of, uh, uh, that he speaks will do to you more than the, the, uh, the advertisement that goes with it. Because I've been in a lot of churches that has great advertisement and no substance to back it up. But I'm at an age in my life where I want all the substance and I don't care how the advertisement goes. I read something the other day made me crack up. You know, when you're a teenager, especially in this generation, you care what other people think about you. By the time you get to your 40s, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. And then when you get in your 60s, you'll wonder if anybody ever thought about you. Here comes John the Baptist. He comes up out of the wilderness and he starts preaching, repent. Y'all think I'm repetitive? He had one message. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he started talking to people about repentance and he takes them down to the river and he starts baptizing them and he starts talking about the one that Malachi prophesied about. He said, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one Malachi said was coming, he will come down here and he's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to tie up his Jordans. I don't even have any business mentioning his name because he's stronger than me and more powerful than me. And when he comes, he won't just baptize you in water. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He will give you the fire from heaven. And one day while he was down in the river washing the saints and dipping them in the baptismal pool, he looked up on the bank and he sees his cousin. His cousin who was born uh, just strategically right after him. His cousin, who was named Jesus of Nazareth. 
And when he saw him, there was nothing special about this man named Jesus. It was his cousin, and he had met him, obviously, several times throughout his life. But when he sees him on the bank, his memory flashes back to a word that Malachi had spoken and said that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And he points his long, bony finger up on the banks of the Jordan River, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Malachi said he was coming. Y'all didn't think it was happening. Because it took longer than you thought it would take. Saint of God, can I tell you, you're better than this. And it don't matter if it takes longer than you think it'll take. That marriage can be fixed. I don't care if it takes longer than you think it can take. Your body can be healed. I don't care if it's took longer than you thought. That sin can be done away with. You're better than this. It may have taken longer than you wanted it to take. It may not have come yet. But the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You're better than this. Jesus came to make you better than this. You may have been in that muddy water 14 times because you're a backsliding self. But 14 is a magic number for you. You're better than this. You may have been divorced and remarried three times already. and Number four ain't looking good. But the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You're better than this. Every doctor in town could have gave up on you. You've gave up on you. Pain's so bad, and the road has been so long, you don't believe that there's any deliverance left for you. But the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You're better than this. That version of you sitting right here in this pew, I'm waiting for next Sunday for you to show up and you are version 2.0 of yourself because you're better than this. And guess what? And I don't want to get too ahead of myself because this will be in a sermon later. No matter how good you are when you get in here next Sunday, you're better than that version too. You are better than this. So one day, Jesus has proclaimed the Lamb of God. The one Malachi spoke about. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. The Bible says immediately Jesus was driven into the wilderness. And there he was tempted of the Lord. I'm tempted of the devil. Driven there by the Lord. Tempted of the devil for 40 days. He faces down the forces of hell. And the Bible says he came out of that wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Miracles started following him everywhere he went. We wonder why we don't see miracles like that anymore. Most of us don't want to spend 40 minutes in the wilderness. Jesus was there for 40 days staring down the barrel of everything that hell could throw at him. He fasted that 40 days. He did not eat. He was tempted in all ways and he came out of that wilderness experience. No doubt a thinner version of himself. No doubt a more tired version of himself. No doubt a more weary version of himself. But a much more powerful version of himself because he was better than this. Before he went into the wilderness, he was Jesus. When he came out of the wilderness, he was Jesus. But he came out a better version. I'm telling somebody in this church, I hope you grab it in your spirit. You are better than this. No matter where you are, you're better. You can do better. If Jesus can do better. If Jesus goes into the wilderness and comes out better, surely. 
Surely somebody like you is better than this. The Bible tells us everywhere he went, miracles, signs, and wonders followed him. Gospel of John goes on to say that if we would have wrote down everything Jesus did, all the libraries in the whole world couldn't contain the books because he did so many miracles. There were cities that Jesus came into where every sick person in the whole town was healed. Every demon was cast out. Every burden was lifted. He opened blind eyes. He unstopped deaf ears. Nobody ever spoke like this man. Dead people was raised back to life. The widow of Nain saw her little boy jump off of the coroner's table and run back into her arms. And the Bible says he spoke and the wind and the waves laid down. He prayed and along John Silver's basket just overflowed. Everywhere he went, the glory of God transformed lives because he was giving us this message. Come to me and I'll make you better than this. Mary Magdalene, seven demons. Before she left his presence, listen, when everybody else had given up on Mary Magdalene, when everybody else judged her as some loose floozy, who a woman about town, Jesus looked at her and did not see what everybody else saw. He said, you're better than that. Y'all not going to help me. When he looked at her demeanor, when he looked at her past, when he, he did not judge her for who she was because he knew that if you get close enough to me, you're better than this. You're, you're be Stop giving up on yourself. Child of God, you are better than this. Stop beating yourself up. Child of God, you are better than this. He saw Mary Magdalene. He cast devils out of her and turned her into a worshiper. He met another woman out of well in John chapter 4 who had a spotty past and not a great present. He called her out on her sin. Fella, you shacked up with now ain't, ain't yours. However, he turned her into a minister of the gospel. An evangelist of all evangelists. He hits the shores of Gadara where there was a man that chains couldn't keep bound. Cutting himself with rocks. Driving the town folk crazy. And that demon possessed man came running down to the shores and threw himself at Jesus' feet. He had no control over his life. I, I got to preach this for a minute. Here is a brother who has no control. I want to talk to somebody that's ever been an addict. I want to talk to somebody who's ever loved an addict. If you think they do it because they want to do it, you have lost your ever loving mind. They do it because they have lost control. But I don't want you to look at them and say that they are done. Because when Jesus sees an addict, he says, get close to me. You're better than this. You're better than this. You're, You're better than this. He had lost control of himself. And Jesus looked at him and said, this is not the end of you. You're better than this. Nobody can change you like Jesus. Can't nobody flip your world upside down like Jesus. Can't nobody turn your situation around like Jesus. If you know that to be true, would you give God about 10 seconds of praise?
feel that? You feel that anointing in this house? Preacher standing in front of you with Jordans on and holes in his jeans and there's anointing in the house. Don't you try to tell me that you can put God into some kind of a box and define what he can and what he... These disciples followed Jesus for three and a half years and they witnessed the miracles. I want you to understand, these brothers saw some stuff. The man with the withered hand stretched forth. And no doubt they heard ligaments and bones and joints just popping and cracking and coming back into place. The woman who was bent over from the spirit of infirmity when she stood up. Listen, I prayed for a woman one time. I was preaching a revival in Charleston, West Virginia. And I prayed for a woman who had had 37 back surgeries. And she was hunched over. My wife and I prayed for her in the altar. And when she straightened up that night, we heard the, pop, the bones pop, 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 pop into place. I know what they saw. I know what they saw. These brothers had been following Jesus. They witnessed entire cities healed. Delivered and set free. Jesus has never been more popular. Uh-huh. Until he gets to Jerusalem. People start throwing their jackets down for him to ride his donkey across. The streets are alive with the sound of praise. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he takes his disciples into an upper room. He sets them down at the table, these brothers who had seen it all. When he takes the bread, he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And he takes the wine and he said, this is my blood that is spilled for you. And then he does the unbelievable for a master to do. He gets down on his knees he takes a towel and a basin of water and he washes his servant's feet. This is Jesus, the King of glory, washing the feet of failed, flawed men. This is Jesus who had wrapped himself in flesh and stepped over heaven's corridor to walk the dusty streets of Jerusalem for, three and a half, for 33 years just to prove a point. You're better than this. That when you come into my presence, I don't just save you for an eternity. I don't just give you a heavenly home. I make you better right now. I will cause you to be something right now that you wasn't when I walked in this door. Because I'm going to wash away all the dirt. I'm going to wash away all the filth. I'm going to wash away everything you carried in from your past. It will be cleansed if you get close to me. Because you are better than this. Don't believe the lies. You are better than this. And then after he washes their feet, John chapter 13, he starts talking about leaving. He said, I'm going away. You have to understand, these disciples, they had given up everything to follow Jesus. And now he's talking about leaving. See, they were interested in Jesus establishing a kingdom here. They wanted free of the Roman oppression. Rome had overtaken Persia, and they had become the rulers of the area. And the disciples were sick of listening to Rome. So when Jesus came saying, I'm going to establish a kingdom, they said, I'm going to follow this man. But now this brother is saying, I'm going to check out and leave you all behind. 
And they're freaking out. Because instead of wearing a crown, Jesus starts talking about them picking up a cross. And them dying on one. What do you do when God lets stuff happen to you that leaves you confused? What do you do when you are assuming God is doing this one thing in your life and then God switches it up on you and takes your life in another direction? I'll tell you what most people do. They fall apart. They worry. They fear. They stress. Some of them even backslide. But let me give you for the rest of the time I have your attention this morning what you should do. Peter says, hold up. I'm so glad Peter's in the Bible. I mean, if all the people I had to study in the Bible was the Abrahams, I would not even want to be on this team. Father of faith, always walking around doing the right stuff. I would, no, 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 I like Peter. I enjoy reading about Peter. Big mouth, stick foot in mouth, Peter. Always got something to say. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes he's cussing out a little girl by fire. But he's always saying something. Peter, when Jesus said, I'm going away, Peter stops and says, hey, I don't know what all the rest of these yahoos are going to do. But I'm going to tell you something, Jesus. You can count on me. Let me just stop right there and tell you as a pastor. If I had $10 for every time somebody told me I could count on them, and I couldn't count on them. I'd be on the beach somewhere. Peter says, I don't know about all these other guys, but Jesus, wherever you go, you can count on me. I don't care if they throw me in jail. I don't care if they kill me. I will not leave you. Don't that sound good? I mean, don't this, that sounds like a commitment that I would open this altar up and have all, some of you come up here and some of you come up here with tears running down your face and your hands raised and you would be ready to commit yourself. Yes, I will go all the way with Jesus. But can I caution you? Because Peter said it. Peter meant it when he said it. But Peter didn't know how bad things was about to get. He didn't know what kind of mess he was about to face. Sometimes we make commitments to God. Sometimes we make promises to ourselves and others not knowing how bad things can get. But Jesus knew. He looks Peter in the eye. <laughs> oh, you can go all the way to me with death? Peter, you ain't going to make it to the morning. He says, you will not see the sunrise. The, the rooster it won't crow before you deny knowing me. You're big and bad in the altar. Oh, you're a tough guy in the, in the, in the pew while the preaching is good and the praise team is high. Oh, yeah, you're easily convinced while you're in the atmosphere of the anointing. But I'm going to tell you, I know you think you'll go with me, but you don't know how rough life can get yet. You're not going to make it to the sunrise before you even doubt that you know me three times. And it's at this point in John chapter 14 verse 1 that Jesus makes a statement that I want to leave you with this morning. Let not your heart be... See, we skip over this part because we like the other part. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. And we've preached on that for years about heaven. But I want to stop right there with that word, troubled. And if you would just stop right there, why should we stop? Because there's not a comma. There's a period. Let not your heart be troubled. Sure, then we could go on and, and, and trust that you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions before and I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. Because if I do not go away, you can't come to me. But if I go and prepare a place, I will call you and myself and there you will be also. And all of that is great preaching. And we love the promise of heaven. But there's a period. Let not your heart be troubled. He just told Peter, you're not going to make it to the end of the morning. He just told his disciples, you're going to lose me. I'm going, I'm going away. And you're going to have to make it on your own. And the answer to all of the, the problems, their minds are being blown. Can't you just hear? I mean, as believers, we understand what it's like when God fakes us out. We think we're going one way and then we go another way. And as believers, you understand that. Can't you hear them? They're, dis they're stressed. They're upset. Maybe a little angry. And then Jesus' answer to Peter and to all the rest of them about no matter what their stress level is right now, let not your heart be troubled. You're going to face trials that you won't understand. Let not your heart be be troubled. You're about to see things that don't make any sense. Let not your heart make trouble. Be troubled. You're about to face the most difficult season of your life, but you can stand on this word. Don't let your heart be troubled. This is a word for all of us. Because no matter where you're at on your life's journey right now, a troubled heart will not help your situation, but it will harm it. You're better than this. You're better than the trouble that you're facing. You're better than the setback that you've been going through. You're better than your doubt and your unbelief and your worry because they steal your joy. That's what a troubled heart does. A troubled heart takes what is good and makes it bad. Takes what is bad and makes it terrible. Twelve spies went to look at a promised land. Two of them thought, let's go get it right now because God... The son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wing. He is that God. Let's run down and take it. But ten left with troubled hearts. And their troubled heart convinced them that giants are bigger than God. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus said, I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting on. Malachi said, I was going to come, and I've come, and I've got a cure for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been facing, no matter what your life situation has been up to this point, I have the cure. I have the hope you've been looking for. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. If you've been going through uh, hell, don't let your heart be troubled. If you just suffered a setback, don't let your heart be troubled. If you're dealing with some kind of a crisis, don't let your heart be troubled. His answer to us is all the same. So I can hit every person in this room with the same message because it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. The answer is going to be, don't let your heart get troubled 
And if you continue reading the 14th chapter of John, you'll find out how Jesus plans for us to have victory over our heart problems. Verse 27, he says it. He said, I'm going to leave you with a prescription for your heart problems. Some of you probably in this room got heart issues and you take pills for it. Maybe you got an artificial something or another in there keeping your rhythms up. Well, that was something for a doctor to handle. But the son of righteousness has come with healing in his wings. And he said, I'm going to write you a prescription for all of your heart problems. Not just the ones that have coronary issues. Not just the ones that need to go see a cardiologist. But every living person who's ever breathed there is going to have some kind of a heart problem. And I'm going to write you the prescription. And that prescription is this. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world does. I don't give you that kind of peace. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. How many of you, just by a show of hands, feel like you're up under some kind of an attack right now? Church, look around this room. Look, 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 look around this room. You feel like you're up under some kind of attack. I don't care if it's your job or you can't pay your bills this month or this virus or you lost your keys or your cell phone broke. or uh, I, see, 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 I want to define what an attack is for you. You ready for this? Because some of us have been going through stuff like my car broke down, but that ain't no attack. Sometimes that's just routine maintenance you didn't do. Sometimes they just wear out, and you got to get another one. Because he doesn't want your car. I've heard saints of God come to the house and say all kinds of crazy stuff through my ministry. The devil's after my car. What's he need your car for? He could be here and in heaven. You think he wants to drive your old broke-down Buick? He ain't after your car. I heard people more than one time come up in one prayer saying, the devil's after my job. You really think the devil wants to put a hard hat on and go down and drive the forklift? He wants your job? No, no, no. Let me explain something to you. The devil is not after your place to live, your residence, what you drive, your promotion, or your job. What he's after is your mind. And the only reason that he messes with the other stuff is because that stuff gives him access to what he's really after, which is your mind. Because if he can get access to your mind, he has access to your peace. And Jesus has written a prescription of peace for your heart problems. And if the devil can get in your stuff and your peace is tied to your stuff, then the devil by proxy has access to your peace. I thought I might hear an amen right there. See, the devil loves it when you put your faith in stuff that is shakable. Because most of our testimony is about materialistic stuff. I want to testify, I got a raise. I want to testify, the loan went through, we're going to get the house. I want to testify, I'm getting married. Some folks say, I want to testify, I'm getting divorced. Another sermon for another time. But most of us want to praise God over stuff that the devil can shake. And he wants you to rejoice about the car because he can give you a flat tire. He wants you to shout victory over the house because he can make the roof leak. And when the roof starts leaking, if your peace is tied to that house, your peace goes with it. He wants you, mama, to rejoice in your kids because your kids will break your heart. And your peace goes with that spiteful youngin' you raised. However, 
if he can ever get you to start rejoicing over the God of your salvation, if he can ever get you to start praising him because of the finished work of Christ, that is stuff that the devil can't shake, manipulate, or take away from you. If he can ever get the saints of God in 2021 to start coming into the house and say, I ain't here to get nothing. I'm here to give him the glory because of everything he's already done for me. I'm going to, listen, the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. I'm saved and that's enough. And if he don't ever bless me again, he already done more for me than I was ever worth. And I can't praise him enough. I can't stop dancing. I can't stop singing. I can't stop clapping. I've got to get my praise on because if God ain't never done another thing for me, he already did more than I deserve. I can't stop. And if he can get you to start putting your faith in that, then the devil don't have access to your peace. That's why Jesus said, I leave my peace with you. It's not the same peace that the world has. We got to learn how to tell the difference between the peace of the world and the peace that Jesus leaves us. Because the peace of the world is based on what's going on around them. In other words, if you got the peace of the world, your atmosphere has to change before you can keep your peace. What do you think is going on societally right now? Everybody's trying to find peace. The problem is, we don't agree on what peace looks like. Women think peace looks like this, but men say, no, it looks like this. Old folks say it looks like this. Young people say it looks like this. People that are white say it's like this. People of color say it looks like this. I mean, we're never going to agree on what peace looks like. That's why we can't adopt the world system of peace. Because there is no true definition of it. And by the way, if I only have peace when all my bills are paid, and everybody's being nice to me, and my kids ain't acting up, and I ain't got no health issues, I ain't even got to be saved to appreciate that peace. I mean, anybody can have peace in that kind of situation. But Jesus said, I didn't send you into this world to operate with this world's definition of peace. I'm going to give you a peace that passes understanding. I'm going to give you crazy lunatic type peace. Where it looks like you don't even know or understand what's happening around you. Like what all hell is breaking loose. You're just going to be sitting over in the corner bobbing your head and smiling. And singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And it won't even make no sense. And everybody will think you've lost your ever-loving mind. But you have got peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. And you will not respond to every circumstance or situation. Because you are dwelling in your own atmosphere of peace like you have lost your mind. See, chaos prevents you from seeing things clearly. So we need an atmosphere. If we're going to have the world's kind of peace and live by it, we need an atmosphere where all the negative voices and the chaotic messes shut up. But God won't stop the whole world just so you can find a quiet place to pray. He doesn't make a perfect environment so you can have perfect peace. So he gives you peace that resists the atmosphere of the world so he can, you can dwell in any atmosphere and keep your mind because your heart doesn't get troubled. That's good preaching. We keep wanting to come in. Why do you think you feel different on Sunday morning than you do Tuesday morning? Because you're in an atmosphere where the Spirit is moving and the Word is going forth and the praises are going up and it's setting an atmosphere. But you can't take this with you. 
You can't live here. I mean, it's a big enough building. You probably pitch a tent somewhere and get away with it. I wouldn't find you for a couple weeks maybe. But you can't stay here. You've got to get out there. So what Jesus said was this. When you get out there, you can't adopt their version of peace. Because it will mess up your thinking. When you come back in Sunday, you're like, where is this at? i got to get back to the house of God on Sunday because i got to find peace. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you my peace. So that no matter whether you're standing at the altar at Promise of Victory or you're standing in the Walmart line, you're going to have the same measure. So no matter what the atmosphere is going on around you, you tap into the peace that I give to you and your heart will not be troubled. So what kind of peace did he leave us? It is peace that is so intense, so calming, that when the disciples was on a boat and thought they were about to die, Jesus had this kind of peace. Listen, can you believe they had to wake Jesus up to tell him there was a storm? You think you are interrupting Pastor's Day by Facebook. Pastor, I'm going through this. I need your help. Uh, send me a text. I need you to pray. Listen, I don't know everything. Jesus does. And it witnesses to me that he knew there was a storm, but they had to wake him up to inform him that it already started. Jesus isn't letting storms steal his sleep. And if Jesus ain't, He said, I give you my peace. Uh, uh, no, my whole amen committee just resigned right there. He said, I give. What caused Jesus to be able to sleep through a storm? Peace. And he said, I give you. So it ain't that you don't have what you need. It's you ain't using what he gave you. Pay attention, pay attention because the disciples are freaking out. Jesus is asleep, snoring in the boat. This ain't no cruise line. This ain't no Royal Caribbean. This is a boat. Jesus would have been rocking back and forth. Waves crashing, wind howling, and he's asleep. They had to wake him up to tell him there was a storm. Now watch this. He gets up out of his sleep, yawns and stretches, comes up on the bow of the ship, Speaks three words to nature. I can't get my kids to do stuff after three words. Jesus speaks to wind and waves. Three words. Peace. Y'all been waiting on me to preach. Peace. Be. Still. Now pay attention to something. The wind and the waves... Lay down. But how did Jesus speak that kind of peace? Because he possessed that kind of peace. You can't speak what you don't possess. You can't speak from a place of chaos or depression or anger or, 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 or philanthropy. That, so when the enemy starts attacking your mind, he knows exactly that you are running on empty and you don't have anything to fight with. Because if you don't have any peace, you can't speak peace. So no wonder you can't go into your house and speak peace over your family. No wonder you can't go into that place of business and speak peace over that business. Because your mind is not possessing what you're trying to manufacture. 
manufacturer. I can't give you a cold if I'm not sick with one. I can't give you the virus if I never caught it. And you can't speak peace over your situation if you don't possess peace. So Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave you my peace. I'm going to leave you the stuff that lets you go through the storm if you want to use it. And by the way, they went through the storm, but did you notice they, they ended up where they was going anyway? How many times has the enemy convinced you that the storm's going to shipwreck you, that you're going to die on them waves, that you're going to drown? How many times have you been finding yourself in the middle of a storm that you did not create and you thought for sure this is it, this is the end of me? But every time Jesus shows up and speaks peace, the people always make it to where God was sending them in the first place. And I just thought you ought to know that no matter how bad the wind blows or or the waves crash against your ship, if Jesus sent you somewhere, you are on the way and you'll get to your destination. But the problem that we have with Jesus is this. I don't have no problem with Jesus. Yes, you do. Don't you look at me in that self-righteous tone. Because the problem we have with Jesus is this. We want him to stop the storm. But he didn't promise to stop it or steer you around it. What he promised was, in the middle of it, I'll give you peace. In the middle of it, I'll give you what you need to survive it. What does this peace look like? Most of us don't think we got what we need. Because it's easier for us to make excuses than to make changes. Don't, 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 don't check out on me now. I ain't got time to read my Bible. I ain't got time to pray. Pastor, I've got this, and I've got that, and I've got this, and I've got that. I don't have time to make it to church every Sunday. I don't have time to exercise. Why don't y'all start cracking up at that one? I don't have time to watch my finances. I don't have time to to do any extra uh, uh, viewing of, of sermons. I know you preached on this one time, but I don't have time to catch up on your sermon series. It's easier to make excuses than it is to make changes. And we do the same thing with God that we do with ourselves and we do with other people. We say we don't have what we need. Or we blame where we've been for where we are. If I had never married Tom, I wouldn't be in this condition. If I hadn't filed bankruptcy, if I hadn't lost that job, if Mama would have bought me that pony when I was seven years old, We're always making excuses for where we've been to justify where we are. But the Bible tells us that He's already given me everything I need to live a joyful, complete, and fulfilled existence. Pastor, I just don't believe that. That, 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 that's, That's positive thinking on steroids. Well, let me prove it to you. The moment you gave your life to Jesus... The Bible says you got Jesus. Hello. So, so, so when you gave your life to Jesus, who did you get? And when you got Jesus, you got everything Jesus has. Correct? And what does Jesus possess? 
peace. So this is what you just told me. You got Jesus. You got everything Jesus got. Which means if Jesus had it, it ought to be operating in your life right now. A woman walked into a bank one time, sat down across from the bank teller and said, I'd like to open a joint banking account. The teller grabbed a form and an ink pen and says, great, I can help you with that. Who would you like to open an account with? She said, a millionaire. If you have joined yourself to Jesus, you have got a joint account with heaven. And everything that Jesus walked in and had is your possession now. I want you to quit believing the devil's lie like you are some kind of inferior being. You're better than this. I don't care how much faith you have. You're better than the faith you got right now. I don't care how good you feel. You're better than that situation right now. I don't care how much hell you fought just to get here this morning. I came to encourage you. You are better than this. What he had belongs to you. And the same problem that Peter faced is the same problem you're facing. Because the devil thought if he could get Peter's heart troubled, Peter would quit. Can I tell you that the devil don't understand you faith people at all? See, see, the devil was created to live in heaven and lead worship in a perfect environment. He had it made. He had the best of circumstances. He had God's presence. And he blew it. And now, he puts you in the worst possible circumstance, stresses you out to the max, and you have the audacity to come into church on Sunday and lift your hands and cry tears and stomp holes in the pastor's carpet. You've got the nerve to come up to the altar and tell God how good he is. He doesn't understand how in the world that you can praise your way through that heartbreak. He can't understand how some of y'all are praising your way through that divorce. He watched you lose your job. He saw your income dry up and you got the nerve to stand up and praise God he left you with worry he's put sickness on you all kinds of mess and you won't let trouble in your heart what is wrong with you have you lost your mind you should have quit by now you should have broke down by now but here you are jump to your feet and give God some praise The devil don't understand you. How are you better than this version last week, last month? How are you better than you were last year? You should have quit by now. You should have let trouble in your heart by now. How did he put depression on you and you traded it for victory? How did he give you grief and you put on God's grace? How did the devil bombard you with problems and you took Jesus' victory? 
He exposed your weakness. And you come in here talking about and singing about strength. What is wrong with you people? What is wrong with you faith people? Some of you are standing here this morning and you are totally in lack. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. And you're in here singing songs about Jehovah Jireh is my provider? What's wrong with you? You should have let trouble into your heart by now. Some of you come in here with guilt and shame because of sin. And you dare walk to this altar and seek forgiveness. Don't you know what you've done? Don't you know how far you fell? What's wrong with you? You should have let your heart be troubled by now. No, no, no. The devil is confused with you, my friend. You are causing him to need Prozac. He cannot understand how you are keeping it together. Facing what you're facing. How you can still tell God He's good. Having gone through what He put you through. He's been the thorn in your flesh. He's been the tears on your pillow. He's been your anxiety and your depression and your critical spirit and your heartbreak and your misery and your lack of faith and fortitude. He's been all those things. And he cannot understand how you are still standing in this room this morning with your hands raised claiming that God is able. He don't understand you. He was in heaven and couldn't keep it together. And here you are, can't see God face to face, and you're still praying and praising and worshiping like you got victory. I know everything I put on you. I know the troubles that I put you through. How can you tell me God's good? He don't understand you. He don't understand when you, when you say, I'm better than this. Hear me, devil. I'm better than this. I know you thought I'd be dead by now, but I'm better than this. I know you thought we'd be done by now, but I'm better than this. I know you thought I'd probably lost my mind and went back out onto the drugs, but I'm better than this. I know you probably thought I'd have gave him kids up by now, but I'm better than this. And he's wringing his hands this morning. Promise of victory. He don't get it. He keeps pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. Misery and dysfunction and pointing out all your flaws and your disloyalty. And he don't understand how you can feel good about your life. When you say I'm better than this, it blows his mind. devil you want around but the fight ain't over Whew. that last season I went through I took some hard punches and I went down but I wasn't out for the count buddy I still got fight left in me I'm better than this I'm better than this and people saw me fall and I've been disgraced 
and I have cried and I have made a public display of how hurt and abused and neglected and ambushed I was but don't mistake my moment of weakness for a defeat because I'm better than this I am professing this day I am better than this I'm better than this God brought me a mighty long way and yet I'm better than this some of y'all that are better than this and you need to take a step of faith this morning get on up there to this altar just come on up here get on up here to this altar I'm coming up this morning devil to rub your nose into the spot where I pray to let you know I'm better than this yeah you thought I'd be done by now but he he devil I'm right here representing the God who created me brought me this far and has not abandoned me I know in whom I have believed if you need a blessing come to this altar this morning and tell God Tell heaven and let hell hear you.